0: When you're comparing one private money lender to the next, you really gotta make sure you understand how they're doing things so that you can really do an apples-to-apples comparison.
1: Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I wanna ask you, do you have a strategy right now where you are getting leads that come into your inbox while you're sleeping? Do you have a strategy where you are optimized with both Google AdWords and SEO, search engine optimization? If not, then guess what? Today's your lucky day. We've got a free strategy session just for you. And it's with Dan Barrett. If you recognize his name, he was a guest on episode 565. And he is the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash strategy and get a free strategy session to learn with him how to implement an online strategy for your market in both SEO and Google AdWords. Go to com forward slash strategy. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We've been reviewed Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and a whole bunch of others. And with us today, we've got an expert in the private money lending space. How are you doing, Vincent Pace?
0: Very good. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. I didn't even mean to make that rhyme, but it did. It just flowed nicely, didn't it? Space and Pace, baby. A little bit about Vincent. Vincent is the manager at Barnett Capital which is a private money lender for home flippers and real estate investors. He's been heading that up for about three years now, and they've originated over $30 million in loans. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, he spent eight years working in Tokyo, New York, Beijing, offices of all major international law firms. He's based in Northbrook, Illinois, which is near Chicago. and You can check out their website at BarnettCapital.com. With that being said, Vincent, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now?
0: Sure. I head up our short-term real estate investment finance division, and we're basically looking to provide financing backed by any sort of investment real estate that is short-term. Our primary borrowers are going to be you know, flippers, uh, so our primary asset class is going to be single-family residential, but we'll do multifam, we'll do retail, office, industrial. Generally, small ticket stuff is the stuff that makes sense for our money. And we'll do mixed use, other other sorts of things like that.
1: Okay. What is your role specifically?
0: I run the show. So I have a, a bunch of employees here who work for me. And they're specialized, but I'm kind of at the top directing the whole thing.
1: Okay. And in that director position, what are the things that you look for?
0: In terms of a borrower?
1: However, you spend the majority of your time. What are you analyzing? Uh, I see.
0: The things that will come up to me will be sort of like the the trickier questions. So we have a pretty good set of underwriting guidelines. And, you know, if you're doing a cookie cutter flip or you're buying a home, put some money into it and selling it for more, that's easy. That probably won't cross my desk. It's when people have more complex structures or the deal makes sense, but there's some things that might cause hesitation. Those are the things that will flow up to me. So I play sort of a role in, in underwriting in that regard. I spend a lot of my time personally thinking about our marketing efforts. How can we reach more borrowers? What are the best ways to connect to people that we haven't connected to in the past? And also improving our systems. So how do we make the process easier for borrowers? How do we get draws out to them more quickly? Those sorts of questions are kind of where I spend most of my time.
1: Well, you've got my interest and you've intrigued me with the trickier questions that you come across.
0: What's one of them? One example could be, you know, sometimes people set up, investment trusts. And then you get into issues with, is it an IRA trust that has restrictions on use from a tax perspective? Is it something that we can get a lean on? Is it held by a custodian? I mean, these get pretty tricky and we deal with them from time to time, but people put these structures together to get tax benefits from them. And we don't want to deny people that. So we do our best to try and figure out ways to work within those structures and still get the same security we need to put out these loans. Other examples might come down to the underwriting of the property. We've got one deal right now on our plate that's a very odd one. It's got two properties, two buildings, two homes on one lot. And in Chicago, that's not uncommon where you have a coach house in the back. But in this area, it totally is. Everything else is just single family homes. So you've got this kind of underwriting conundrum of how do you value this property in this market? We know what's going to happen with appraisers. They're going to come back tricky. They're going to provide some marginal additional value for the property in the back. But this particular borrower of ours, he actually sells it to investors. So investors look at it more on a cap rate basis, and that might not play out in the same way on an appraisal basis. So resolving those sorts of questions and figuring out how we can be safe in those sorts of transactions on a property level is another sort of interesting thing that comes across my desk.
1: How do you get the safety that you need to lend the money on that example where there are two buildings on one lot?
0: Well, on that particular one, the most likely valuation of it in the market as far as just kind of selling it to an end user or just kind of on the MLS It looks like they'll take the main property in the front, which is a bit bigger, so that'll be kind of treated as the property. And they'll treat the back as sort of additional space, but not at the same value as if it was all connected. So it's not going to be quite like if this per square foot of a 2,000-foot home is 10 bucks or whatever the number is. It's not going to be like it's just going to go up by 10 bucks, might go up by seven or six or five or whatever the sort of marginal additional number is for the value of that property. So I think we're ultimately going to have to look closely at what it would go for in the MLS make sure we're in line with the appraiser's numbers, but also understand that it's more valuable to an investor. And so there's some additional value there above that. And even if this would be an example of a deal where it might be a little tight if you just look at appraiser's numbers, but because of the additional safety we have from this additional square footage, the, the interest that investors are going to have, we can get comfortable a little higher than our normal standards would allow us to.
1: What's something that when you're training an individual to underwrite deals or someone on your staff's training individual to underwrite deals, what's something that you really focus on and make sure they understand?
0: I guess the crux of it is always the resale value of the property. So that's one we need to make sure they're very clear on. And I think that's kind of 101. So to go a little deeper than that, another thing that we need to focus on is making sure that the borrower has the liquidity to support the deal. So we don't want to set people up for failure. We want to make sure that people are ready to get the deal done, even weathering a few bumps and kind of make profit at the end of the day on this. If we were a loan to own shop, we might not care, but we don't find that's the best way to do business. We would much rather prefer to be lending to somebody for years to come rather than maybe get one property back from them and say goodbye. I mean, I think that's a pretty silly model. So we need to make sure when we're training people that they understand kind of how we're looking at a borrower's liquidity profile, what counts towards that, what counts against that, what can't be counted, what can, and that depends on kind of who's signing legal docs and who isn't. So that tends to be a pretty... It's a complex question, but it eventually kind of convalesces in everybody's head in a way that they can readily talk to people on the phone and quickly give answers to them and be ready to take any sort of intake um, in terms of leads and kind of really figure out quickly what we can do for somebody.
1: You mentioned earlier that you also focus on marketing efforts, how to reach more borrowers. What's been the most effective and least effective marketing effort you've done to reach more borrowers?
0: Most effective has been a lot of our networks here. I mean, we're basically in the Chicago area. So we have other divisions at Barnett Capital that do other things. We have our own single-family division that renovates homes and builds new homes. And so we've got pretty deep connections in the market here. And we found that our connections have been a very good source for additional leads. Another one that was sort of surprising was just sort of generic internet marketing, Google AdWords, whatever. We were kind of surprised at the effective they've been. Some ones that are kind of hit or miss... Sometimes going to events and conferences can be hit or miss. But for us, if we go to an event and there's a lot of brand new borrowers, we can't always lend to a brand new borrower. Sometimes we require them to have some experience. In the Chicago area, we have a new investor program where we can work with new borrowers, but it can be a little tricky. And I've gone to events outside of Chicago and Philly and Atlanta in Tennessee to kind of pitch our product there. And obviously there, it's a little trickier for us to do something with a new investor. So events can be hit or miss, but I wouldn't say they're kind of bad. The worst marketing thing. I think anything that we'd consider to be sort of terrible or worse, we just <laughs> never do. So everything's had some value to it so far. You know, fingers crossed that we keep that up.
1: What's the thing that you spent the most money for to date and gotten the least amount of return for?
0: Hmm. It's an interesting question. It could probably be put down to one of our marketing efforts. There's been some sites where we. Killed the advertising on, but I can't remember what they were. Obviously, if they weren't performing, they're not going to stick out of my head because I know we're not getting not <laughs> a lot of leads from them. Basically, just watch it each time, and we look to see what's coming in. If it's not returning, we'll pull the plug.
1: So it would be some online form of advertising then, banner ads or something on a site.
0: Yeah, it was, it was, it. Some, okay. it was some particular site. That's cool. Yeah,
1: I'm uh, not looking to call any site out. Just looking to understand. What tactic wasn't working so hot and which ones were? Uh, On a
0: tactic level, I mean, it's pretty easy to see what's coming in from a given website. We've done things like create separate landing pages for different campaigns. And so if you're on one website and you're linking that to one campaign landing page and nothing's coming through, it's pretty easy to see. So it's really just a matter of finding a way to track your lead generation. Mm -hmm.
1: The challenge would be if they saw wherever they were, if they saw your ad, and then they just typed in your website, then they wouldn't hit that one landing page. But It's not uh, full Absolutely. that that is the marketer and the company who's sponsoring it. That's the dilemma that's that's yep. just a classic catch twenty two You also talk about improving systems to get speed of transaction faster or checks to borrowers faster. What's one thing you've done to enhance a system?
0: When I took over the business, we had this kind of old system where we used some excel spreadsheets and even some pdfs written by hand i mean it was archaic faxes and everything so we're way past that at this point but we still have some some spreadsheets that are in use and we're basically looking to move all of those to a web-based system we've already started that you know our preliminary application is now web-based and we're moving the next piece there over the next few months but let me turn to one that's kind of more exciting for me we're looking to put together like an inspection app so that our inspectors when they go out to do a construction draw inspection for us They're at the property, they pull up this inspection app, and as they approve each item or as they tell us what percentage of each item is complete, we're getting real-time updates of them. What that means is that the second they leave the construction site, we underwrite it, we review it, and we're ready to fund. And that's probably a matter of an hour or half an hour even to get it out the door. That will allow us to provide same-day construction draws. You get the inspector out there, and we're funding your construction draw immediately. Currently, we're basically on a one-day lag, sometimes two in a worst-case scenario. And we really want to kind of push that down to be even quicker. We're really trying to kind of skim those margins down to the least amount of time needed so that we can really provide the speed that I think the borrowers rightfully expect from a lender like us.
1: What percentage of your loans are in Chicago?
0: I think right now in the whole Chicagoland area, including the suburbs around it, I think we got about 65% of our whole portfolio here. And then our next biggest market is actually Philadelphia. And then we're sort of scattered a number of other markets around the country beyond that.
1: Why is Philly the next biggest?
0: It just so happens I'm from Philly. And just when Mm. I was starting here, we got a really good borrower from Philly. And so I began making trips out there to meet with him and to otherwise generate business there and it's kind of grown from there.
1: What type of volume does a good borrower borrow from your company?
0: It can range in many ways. We have borrowers who keep multi-million dollar balances out with us on a regular basis. But then we have equally good in terms of reliable borrowers who just keep out a few hundred grand. They do two or three properties at a time, and we like them both equally.
1: What's your best real estate investing advice ever?
0: Run the numbers. That's what I tell everybody. Anytime (laughs) I'm speaking at an event or on a podcast or anything like this, run the numbers. The prime example I always give of that is that when you're comparing one private money lender to the next you really got to make sure you understand how they're doing things so that you can really do an apples to apples comparison. I was down speaking at an event in Atlanta and at the event before I was speaking, I was sitting in the audience talking with somebody and showed me his calculator. He got it from one of these classes where he paid a lot of money for the class and they gave him a bunch of tools like this. And I said, okay, well, let's compare I mean, I see you've got a loan calculator there. Let's compare our loan to somebody else's loan. And we put the numbers in and our loan looked like it was the worst. And I knew that wasn't the case and the issue was the calculator was assuming that the money was being charged on the whole loan amount the entire time when we in fact only charge it on amounts actually funded. Mm. And that can lead to a very big difference in the calculation that isn't always apparent. The other thing is we have sort of a unique product that in the market thus far anyway where we usually don't charge points. So our typical product is no points plus interest. Now the rate of course is a little higher generally but the result is. The actual cash you pay to us over the course of a deal tends to be, if not lesser than, then roughly the same as all these guys out there charging points at a lower rate. But people will really zoom in on a rate and say, oh, well, he's charging a lower rate. I'm going to go with him. It's like, well, how many points is he charging? Is there a servicing fee, a fee? Is he charging on the full amount? So if you really crunch these numbers correctly in a spreadsheet, you'll be able to get down to the brass tax of it, which is just going to be a dollar amount. How much will you actually pay? to this lender based on the best estimates you can come up with on timing, and then you're able to make a real comparison of, okay, here's my apples to apples comparison. I can select these guys because I know I ran my numbers correctly, and I know that they're the best value. So run the numbers, my sort of bottom line advice at all times.
1: What's the business reason behind not having charging points at closing? Because obviously the potential downside would be that someone exits out of the loan in two months or less because they're really good at what they do. And you've spent all this work getting them approved and yep. uh, then you know you don't have much to show for it.
0: We've got a buffer against that. We do have a minimum interest payment. So we allow them to take points and they can lower the rate if they want to. But very few do. Most of them just go with our straight interest numbers our buffer is that we have a minimum interest number of basically four grand. And what we found is that pretty much every deal we do hits that without needing to pay anything additional. So they clear the four grand sometime by the end of the deal, usually because they're doing larger construction or the deal is bigger, or it's very rare for deals to go that quickly. But we do want to have the availability to let people use our money for deals that short, like why don't they be there for things like wholesale financing. The wholesaler says, Hey, I'm going to take this deal, and I'm going to sell it in two weeks. They're fine taking four grand of their 15 wholesale upsell and ending up with 11, where we take away four. And they want to do that, that's fine by us. We don't want to discourage people to do that. So, we've just set a thing up here where it allows us to cover our costs, it allows us to make a little bit of profit. I mean, we're not dancing down the streets for four grand, but it gets us out of bed to do the deal. Whereas, otherwise, it, if it's only like a couple days of interest and we're charging all the interest, we might say, You know, 500 bucks isn't worth our time. The economic reason behind it is it's kind of how we've looked at our financing since before I was even at the company where we're really renting out our liquidity. So we look at it as you're paying a rental fee for the liquidity that you're borrowing from us. So that can come out just as a, a straight interest rate on the money that we're charging. We're not opposed to points, but we find that the people who really crunch the numbers, they tend to prefer this payment method better. And we feel in that way, it gives us sort of a competitive advantage. Even though you do have the people that I mentioned earlier who say like, oh, well, they're charging a lower interest rate. I'm going to go with them. But then they don't really run through the numbers in their head correctly. I think on the whole, it does provide us with an advantage with many borrowers.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's certainly a talking point that stands out from the rest of the crowd. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Are you looking for a hard money loan or do you have a mortgage note that you want to sell? Then email David at Hasslefree cashflowinvesting.com If you recognize this company, well that's because David was a best ever guest on the show. Is episode 122 David Campbell and you can email him at david at hasslefree cashflowinvesting.com if you're looking for a hard money loan or if you have a mortgage note to sell. Best ever book you've read? Catcher in the Rye. Best ever personal growth experience and what would you learn from it?
0: Uh, I'd say Going through Boy Scouts was actually pretty good for me because I was sort of a putz when I was a kid, and then they kind of made me lead people, and that taught me leadership, I think.
1: How do you apply what you learned in the Boy Scouts to your business now?
0: Lead by example. If it's something that I want done, I should be doing it too.
1: And what's one specific thing that you do within your business where you lead by example?
0: Put in the hours.
1: Mm. How many hours you work?
0: Definitely clearing 40. I live really close to the office. I'll often come back sort of late at night and punch a bunch of things out or I'll uh, bring stuff home and work from home. So uh, it's hard to say. In my past life, I was a lawyer and you know, lawyers work sort of crazy hours. I'm not quite there, but uh, I'm up there.
1: What's your relationship status? Married. And how does that work with the workaholic mentality?
0: I kind of work around it because I'm so close to the office. It, uh, it helps. I can go home for dinner. Then I can come back and do some work. I can deal with the kids and my wife gives me a pass, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Best ever dealer transaction you've done?
0: Best ever deal. Okay. So we had this interesting deal that we were actually looking to do in Philly ourselves and it didn't quite fit. We weren't quite comfortable with it. and I managed to turn it around into a lending deal. Got one of our borrowers to do it and he ended up making more than a hundred grand on the deal. So that was a fun deal for us. Mm.
1: What's the best ever way you like to give back? Teaching. What forum or format do you typically do that?
0: Oh, well, I do that in the office all the time. I'm always uh, teaching people here. I help out. You know, some of my kids are involved in scouting. I help them with that, and uh, you know, a variety of ways like that.
1: Do you have something that's formalized within the office, like a, a certain program or anything, courses that you do?
0: It's fairly ad hoc. Each individual sort of has a different role. You know, for instance, the person who handles a lot of our backend processing and number keeping, you know, she felt that she needed more VBA experience. You know, coding in Excel, and so we sponsored a class for her for that. And, you know, we have a variety of requests like that. And basically, anytime anybody wants to do something, we say, you know, present me with your plan and let's look and see if it makes sense.
1: What's one thing that you'd make sure a new employee knew, whether they were underwriting or not? You talked about the importance of knowing the after repair value and liquidity, but just from a general employee standpoint, what's one thing you'd make sure they know?
0: Highly general level, I'd say Excel skills are pretty useful. Whenever you need to make a quick number crunching decision, that's what you do. You pull up a spreadsheet.
1: Is there a way that you test for that during the application process?
0: Informally, yes. It's not like a formal test, but I'll ask them. Obviously, I use Excel all the time, so I'm pretty familiar with it. So I'll ask them various questions about formulas, and I can pretty quickly suss out how much they know.
1: What's a question?
0: Well, I'll ultimately work up into sort of harder, harder stuff. Like I'll say, you know know how to use match index. And if they say no, then I know they're a little lighter on it. And then I'll kind of go back off, maybe I'll ask them, you know, how do you use an if statement in Excel, things like that. If they know match index, then I might say, okay, so how much VBA do you know? And that actually is getting beyond my own (laughs) level of knowledge.
1: I'm 0 for 3 on those questions. I would not be hired by you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can teach you an if statement in two minutes. Okay,
1: all right. I I know how to sum. Uh, (laughs) Yep. (laughs) What's the biggest mistake you've made so far in real estate?
0: We did a few flips out in Philly and I think the contractors we hired could have been better. They weren't terrible and it wasn't like it caused loss or anything, but it's just like I feel like there could have been a better vetting process. So no big mistakes to date, thankfully, fingers remain crossed for that. But I think I learned from it, so you know, I guess that's the silver lining I'll take from the less than stellar selection I made.
1: What's something that you do differently now to qualify the individuals who are working on the property?
0: I'd get more references and I'd probably actually look up their permits and then call people who they didn't give me as references.
1: Mm. Do you do that?
0: We, I don't think, are doing that right now in our own flipping business because we already have such a network and we know the people we're working with. We don't really need to vet people like that. I think if we were to go into other markets, I would strongly recommend doing something along those lines.
1: Yeah, that's a great idea. What's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you?
0: The best place is going to be at our office here. I can be reached at 224-205-7266 or via email at vpace, V as in Vincent, P as in Peter, A-C-E, at barnettcapital.com.
1: Well, Vincent, this conversation has been very focused and I've really enjoyed it from the trickier questions that you have to identify answers for, whether it's dealing with investment trusts or the liquidity of an individual or how to underwrite a property that one tricky one where you had two buildings on one lot and then the most important thing that you say about uh, the underwriting process which is knowing the resale value of the property and then also running the right numbers and making sure it's an apples apples comparison and then that last tip that you had about contractors of course, speak to the references, but then look up the permits that they've done and then call the people that they didn't give as references. Great stuff. Really enjoyed our conversation. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Are you looking for a hard money loan or do you have a mortgage note that you want to sell? Then email David at hasslefreecashflowinvesting.com. If you recognize this company, well, that's because David was a best ever guest on the show is episode 122, David Campbell, and you can email him at david at hasslefreecashflowinvesting.com if you're looking for a hard money loan or if you have a mortgage note to sell.